Let me talk to you for a moment about uh, how shepherds in the east used to handle their flocks. Uh, They would bring them into the sheepfold every day, and the sheepfold was a fenced-in area where they would keep the sheep at night so the predators couldn't get to them, so they couldn't wander away. And the shepherd would stand at the gate of the sheepfold. The gate was usually wide enough for one sheep to go through. And as they filed through the gate, he would talk to them. And he would touch each one of them on the head. And he did this so that the sheep would be familiar with his voice, so that they would know his touch, so that when it was vitally important that the sheep listened to him, for instance, as when they were outside of the sheepfold and there was some danger, uh, that they would come to him. So the, the touch was a touch of preservation. It was a touch of concern. It was a touch of care. It was a touch of familiarity. And that kind of plays into our passage today. You'll see that as things fold out. Now, last week when we got together, uh, we talked about the fact that we should have hope in our hearts and on our lips at all times. Uh, We saw our relationship with Jesus Christ gives us hope, uh, if not just for today, but for all of eternity as well. This week, we're going to learn another truth. And this is the truth that you're going to learn this week. Touching Jesus can be life-changing. Touching Jesus can be life-changing. Now, our passage today rolls out in three short journeys. We're going to see that Jairus goes in verses 40 through 42 of chapter 8. We're going to see the woman who goes in 43 through 48, and we'll see Jesus going in 49 through 56. So let's take a look at this first journey, this journey of Jairus. Now, apparently all this happens Right after the events that we, we went through last week, uh, Jesus was down in the Gerasenes and uh, they encountered the demoniac and they've come back. So in verse 40, it says, Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. Now, if we study the crowds in Luke, we'll learn a couple things. Uh, Luke's trying to show us some stuff. The, the, the crowds are always curious as to his teaching They're always astonished as to the miracles. Matter of fact, sometimes they demand them, but they're not really ardent believers. They're not really committed followers of Jesus Christ. In Luke, uh, he saves, Jesus saves most of the serious, in-depth teaching for the disciples. Now, he teaches the crowds, and it's good teaching, but when he goes deeper into the harder stuff, it's usually reserved for the disciples due to the nature of the crowds. So here we are in verse 41, says, And there came a man named Jairus who was a ruler of the synagogue. Now what this meant was that he was the primary elder of the synagogue. His primary responsibility would be to organize worship and do some teaching. He was neither a civil leader nor was he a member of the Sanhedrin. Uh, which means that he had no political affiliation, uh, he had no public service affiliation, but he would have been a faithful, devout Jew. And because of his connection in the community, he would have a very high position in the community, he would know all about Jesus. He would know all the buzz that's going around town about this teacher, this healer, this miracle worker. He would be very familiar with it. So he's a dignitary in the village. And the other thing is, he's part of the, the religious leadership. Now, up to this point, every confrontation that Jesus has had with the religious leadership has not gone well. 
And so Jairus is approaching Jesus, and I'm sure at least the disciples are going, well, well, let's see what happens here. Well, something amazing happens, verse 41, the second half. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. So this religious leader, this dignified man, this devout Jew, falls down at Jesus' feet. He assumes a posture of humility and, and deep respect for Jesus' Uh, for who Jesus is. Now, this is significant because of this man's position. And the text isn't explicit here, but I'm going to go take a little bit of liberty with the text and say that he came so close to Jesus that he may have actually touched him. So, in verse 42, he says, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was, she was dying. The first thing I want you to notice, she was 12 years old. This is significant. We'll get to that later. But she would, in the Jewish culture, she would be just at that age where she would expect it to be married. And and as a matter of fact, they would consider her to be in the prime of her life. So all of her father's hopes and all of his dreams for his daughter are lying in their house, and she's terminally ill. And Jairus, Jairus is despondent. He's desperate totally unable to help himself, totally unable to help his little girl. So he reaches out in his desperation to the one that he has heard can heal, the one that he has heard can make her whole. Jairus goes to Jesus. It's a short trip, but it's a significant one. So how does Jesus respond to this? Well, we don't know yet because there's something else going on. Jesus is trying to get through the crowd. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. Now, the word for pressed around him here is the same word that we saw in the parable of the sower for the, the, uh, the, the bad ground that chokes off the seed. So Jesus is being mobbed, and the crowd is moving in on him. And the, 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 there's no room to move. There, it's hot. It's sweaty. It, and the, the crowd is just, they're so eager to see him that they're about to crush him. They want to get near him. And in the middle of all that, we see our second journey. We see the woman who goes. Verse 43. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for, for how long? For 12 years. A woman has some kind of uterine hemorrhage. It's what this is describing here. And it's been going on for 12 years. Now we have to understand the significance of this because this means that this woman has endured 12 years of being unclean, 12 years of shame, 12 years of embarrassment, 12 years of being a social outcast. She's not allowed into anyone's homes because she'll make them unclean. She's not allowed to go to temple. She's not allowed to worship. She's not even allowed to go to the synagogue. So she's cut off from fellowship. She's an outcast of the community. And it's the second 12 that we've seen. I don't want to make too much of this, but when we see numbers in Scripture, they frequently mean something. And Luke is trying to tell us that between the the 12-year-old girl and the 12 years of this woman's hemorrhage that there's something perfect happening because 12 is the number of perfection 
And so these people are not perfect. That's not what Luke's trying to say. What Luke is trying to say is this situation is perfect for God to teach us something. God to reveal to us something that we might not otherwise have known. So the second half of verse 43 says, And and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She's desperate in the same manner that Jairus is desperate. She's tried everything. Of course, they didn't have the technology back then that we have now. Let me tell you how they would have treated her. They would have given her one of two treatments, and they probably tried both. One is a glass of wine filled with alum and rubber and, what was it? Garden crocuses. I didn't get a chance to look that up, but I'm just imagining it's not very palatable. The second treatment would be wine fermented with onions. So try that when you get home. A little bit of wine is good for the stomach. Amen? Okay. So no one, no one could heal her. No one could do anything for her. Jesus is literally her last hope. In verse 44, she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. Now, we're not quite sure where she touched. Some, some of the translations say him, but Jesus had four tassels. He was dressed in Jewish garb, traditional Jewish garb. There would have been four tassels hanging from his garment. They would have touched the ground. Maybe that's where she touched And immediately, her discharge of blood ceased. So in a crowd of people, and these people pressing in on Jesus, this woman risks everything. She's not allowed to be in the crowd. Everybody she comes into contact with, and she's going to come into contact with everybody that's standing in front of Jesus, would become unclean. As a matter of fact, if she touches Jesus, Jesus would become unclean. That's what Jewish tradition says. The woman risks everything and somehow manages to get through this crowd and touch some part of Jesus' garment. And in one instant, her life is completely transformed. Everything is changed. Now, Matthew and Mark add some additional detail here. But the main point is that the woman is healed just by touching Jesus. Just by reaching out, she receives healing. And Jesus said in verse 45... Who was it that touched me? That's kind of an incredible moment, isn't it? Is Jesus looking for information? Is he saying, somebody, somebody touched me? And, and you could see what would happen. Jesus would exclaim, who was it that touched me? And the crowd would back up. Wasn't me? Somebody did something wrong. So is he looking for information? Is he looking for somebody to blame? Or is he looking for this woman to reveal herself? To say it was me? And when everybody denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and they're pressing in on you. I mean, this is Peter, isn't he? What do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. What kind of question are you asking? But Jesus said in verse 46, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. Now listen to me carefully. This is not some magical event. This is not Jesus being drained of his power. This is not 
This is not as mystical as it looks. But it is totally consistent with everything that we've been seeing so far. Jesus possesses power. He's got power over evil. He's got power over demons. He's got power over the wind and the waves and the rain. And what Luke wants us to see here is that Jesus has power to heal. And not only that, but Jesus knows who he heals. He's not just doing a blanket. Everybody gets everything that they want. He knows exactly who he has this type of relationship with. In verse 47, And when a woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. The woman now knows that Jesus knows that it was her. So just like Jairus, she falls before Jesus and confesses that she's the one that touched him. And in that instant, in front of that crowd, she becomes a witness and a testimony to the power and the presence of Jesus Christ. Her life has changed. And she begins preaching the gospel. We know that's true because in verse 48, Jesus says to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now watch this. He calls her daughter. He recognizes that something's changed in her. She is now part of the family of God. She's been given a new life. And the word for, for well here is a derivation of the word zozo, uh, which means to deliver, to save. So what's happening here? What is Jesus trying to say? Uh, well, you know what? A lot of the commentators disagree on it. Let me tell you what I think it says. Here's the John Kavaka's version of what's, what's happening. This isn't some story about Jesus' power being siphoned away. It's a story about Jesus knowing who has faith. It's about Jesus knowing who is saved, who is so-so, knowing who are made well, knowing who belongs to him. Jesus is being pressed in on all sides. There's no way to tell who touched him, but he's being pressed in on all sides by people who want something from him. Now, again, we're talking about the nature of the crowds in Luke, and what we're going to see is this develops is that they all want something from them. When they don't get what they want, they leave. But this woman, this, this hemorrhaging woman, goes to him in faith, faith that Jesus acknowledges. Jesus recognizes her. He knows who she is, and he delivers her. He saves her. She reaches out to him. And he saves her. So really these two stories of these people who go to Jesus with faith. Now, no, no. It doesn't say how much faith they had. They didn't have to come up with a certain amount of faith for all this to happen. They just had faith. Jesus did the rest. Jairus goes to Jesus. The woman goes to Jesus. The woman receives healing and salvation. What does Jairus receive? Well, we don't know yet. Let's take a look at journey number three, where Jesus goes. Now, he's already on the way. He's just trying to get through the crowd. Verse 49. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. The girl is no longer sick. 
She's died. And Jairus hears the news that he never wanted to hear. Here's the news that he was so afraid that he might hear. Here's the news that will change his life completely. And look how Jesus responds in verse 50. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. Now he uses that word again. It's another derivative of the word sozo. And, and Luke, I, I believe, has chosen his words carefully under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to clarify what Jesus is about to do what he's already done to the woman, and Jesus gives Jairus hope. He gives him hope. Verse 51, and when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James, and the father and the mother of the child. Now, the first thing we see is Jesus is not here to perform for the crowd. He takes three disciples and the woman and and the man, the mother and father, rest of the crowd at the house. You know, the rest of the crowd at the house would have been mourners. People that belonged to the community, people that had some concern for Jairus and his daughter. But Jesus, Jesus knows that there's no need for the mourners. So he keeps the circle small. Verse 52, and all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, do not weep, for she's not dead, but sleeping. So, maybe there's some mourners in the house, maybe not, I don't know. But the reason the mourners would be there is that once was death, death was ascertained, I, I mean, they didn't call the mourners unless they knew that somebody had passed away. The mourners would come in, and their job was to wail and cry. And there were specific times when they would do this. They would hang around with the family that would go on for three days or so. And there, people would read scripture and then people would wail and cry. And so the mourners were there to share in the grief of the family. And Jesus tells them not to mourn. He says, the girl is sleeping. Just so that we don't misunderstand what's happening here, he uses the same word that he uses in John chapter 11 for Lazarus sleeping. Lazarus had been dead for four days. So he's not saying that the girl's taking a nap. Don't worry, she'll wake up. She's not in a coma. They didn't call the mourners until they knew she was dead. Jesus is implying that this girl will rise again, even though she's dead. And we see this preview of the gospel. It's just a shadow, just a portent of the gospel. She'll rise again. And in return, we get a preview of how the world will greet the gospel. That's in verse 53. And they, the mourners, laughed at him knowing that she was dead. Literally, they mocked Jesus. They scoffed at him. Don't be silly. She's dead. Even a miracle worker couldn't bring her back to life. Verse 54, but taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. Now we saw Jairus reach out to touch Jesus. We saw the woman touch Jesus. Now we see Jesus touch the girl. He calls her to rise up. Verse 55, and her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. The girl is alive! 
Her spirit returns to her. Now, watch this. Bodies, brothers and sisters, are mortal. Bodies will die. We will all die once. Okay? Spirits are immortal. So, if you're listening today, and you're here, and you're thinking that, well, when I die, that'll be the end of it. No, no, no. All of our spirits are immortal. The, the, the question is, where is your spirit going to rest once you die? So, the spirit returns to this girl's body. She sits up. She's not just breathing. She's not just lying there. She's moving around. She's hearing. She's responding to Christ. And Jesus wants him to feed her. He says, give her a meal. He's like the physician sending somebody home after they've done the treatment. Make sure they eat. Make sure they stay hydrated. And what Jesus is trying to say is, look, everything's okay. Everything's normal. Your little girl is alive and she's going to be with you. And verse 56, and her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. What an odd request. Especially in light of what had happened with with the demoniac. Because he said, go back and tell everybody what God has done for you. Especially in light of what had just happened with the woman. He asked her to acknowledge who he was. He gives her the public acknowledgement that, that she's been saved. Why is he telling these folks to be silent? Well, here's what I think. I think that this is such a stupendous miracle. It's so far beyond the realm of possibility. I mean, the evidence would be readily apparent. The townspeople had gone to the funeral. They are going to see the girl walking around. But I think Jesus didn't want anybody to focus on uh, his ministry of miracles. I think people, Jesus wanted people to focus on his presence who he was, not what he did. So literally, Jesus is saying, don't make a big thing out of this. Everybody's going to know I was here, and the girl is alive. Everybody will see that. Jesus' presence can give life. It's not about the miracles, it's about Christ. The miracles are only proof of who he is. They're only proof of the fact that he is who he says he is. So we have these three journeys. We've got the journey of Jairus. He goes and reaches out to Jesus. His life has changed. We have the journey of the woman who goes and reaches out to Jesus. Her life is changed. He heals her. He saves her. But he acknowledges her. He knows who she is. And then we have Jesus going to the little girl. And he touches her. And everything changes. Truth of the matter is that reaching out and touching Jesus can be life-changing. We've seen this. We've seen it before, but Luke brings it into focus right here. Jairus' life is altered completely. Not just that he has his little girl back, but that he has seen the power of Jesus Christ and what his presence will do. So Jairus is changed from the inside. The woman's life is made all new. Everything is changed for the woman. She's no longer an outcast. She can go to synagogue. She can go to temple. And when she goes there, what do you think she's going to do? She's going to tell people about what Jesus did. She is able to be clean for the first time in 12 years. Jesus calls her daughter. She's got a new family. She's got a new friends. She has a 
new Savior. So there's a great truth that as we reach out to Jesus, our lives can be changed forever. But there's a deeper truth here. We reach out to touch Jesus can be life-changing, and Jesus touches us. Something supernatural happens. Something miraculous happens. The girl has the greatest miracle of all. She's got new life where there was no life. She has salvation where everything was hopeless. She has deliverance from death. That's what Luke wants us to see. Jesus brings deliverance from death. His truth, his touch is supernatural. It changes us deep down inside. We can feel it. We can sense it. Not all the time, but it's there. There are times when Jesus' presence, if we're born again, if we recognize him as Lord and Savior, there are times when his presence burns inside of us. You know, it might come, maybe we're reading the Bible and something just jumps out at us and all of a sudden we know it to be true. Maybe we're praying and all of a sudden we hear an answer, we feel an answer. Maybe we're talking to somebody. Maybe we're just sitting on our porch watching it rain and all of a sudden something inside of us happens that rises up and we feel the presence of the Lord. When Jesus touches us, things begin to alter. We see things differently. The disciples had this experience, a few of them did, on the road to Emmaus, after Jesus is resurrected, Luke 24, 31, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, listen to this, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Our hearts burn. How do, we, how do we have this experience? I want to go back to something I said earlier. This is not mystical. It is supernatural. It is miraculous. It is beyond the realm of our understanding, but it's not mystical. We have this experience by daily through diligence and prayer, reading our Bibles, going to God in prayer to help us practice His presence so that we can recognize His touch, so that we can hear His voice. We're the sheep being escorted into the sheepfold. Every day He touches us. Every day He speaks to us so that when we are in trouble, when we need help, we will know His voice and feel His touch. What a wise father we have. He's the ultimate Eastern shepherd, providing a way for us to hear his voice and understand his presence. Jesus will do the same thing for us as we reach out to him and do the things that we're supposed to do, brothers and sisters. He will reach back and touch us and not just change our lives for today, but for all eternity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a real and present Lord. Lord, we can't see you, but Lord, we know you're there. We know you're there because the Spirit inside us that draws us unto you. We pray, Father, that you would help us to be diligent, to, to listen to that, the voice of the Spirit, Father, to long for the touch, to long for the hearing of the word, Father, that we, like Jairus, like the woman, like the girl, 
would bear the testimony of your presence, your healing power, and your saving power on our lives, Father, and in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray.